Welcome back to It Doesn't Look Good. I'm your host, Tim. Last week, we ended part one of Jennifer's story with her in a waiting room. So today, we'll pick up part two exactly where we left off. If you haven't listened to part one yet, stop here and go listen to it now. We'll wait. Okay, now that we're all caught up, we can start the episode. You know, we, we don't know what's going on. This is, we know he's having a heart attack and they're trying to go fix it. I'll keep you updated as we know. And so I left it at that. I didn't call his mom because I know that his mom and he have very close relationship. So I was genuinely worried that she would worry unnecessarily, right? Yeah. And I wanted to get some answers sure. before I found that out, before I really like started telling people. Right. And then I called my sister and uh, I knew that she would talk to me. I knew yeah. she would pray with me. And I just said, you know, we're sitting here. Can we pray together? Will y'all, will you get Michael, my brother-in-law, and will y'all pray about this? And as soon as I said that over the loudspeaker in the waiting room, uh, code blue in the cardiac unit. Code blue in the cardiac unit. And what is a code blue? At the time, I didn't know. Okay. At the time, I I asked my brother-in-law, and I said, Michael, will you look up what that means? They're saying code blue in the cardiac unit. And him protecting me and loving me said, I think that means they had a spill. They need some people to come clean it up. Now I know that that means that someone's coding. Sure. Code blue. So they're coding, which means that they, they can't keep them, that they have, they've flatlined. Sure. And so, so he's told me they've had a spill, and I thought to myself, man, there must be a lot of people back there. They must be having a lot of surgeries right now. Yeah. And I'm still in this naive state. Sure. And so I go from there and... Like and, protection mode. Yes, absolutely. I could not imagine being in there alone. I mean, I've been in lots of waiting rooms and never have I had to be alone. So I think looking back on it now, I think being alone was was a blessing. I think the reason why I say that it was a blessing is because I was so able, I was able to hear the Lord so much clearer. Really? There there was no noise. There was no, there was nothing to distract me in that moment. And all of a sudden, as he told me that there was probably a spill. My brain thought, man, there must be a lot of people back there going through these things, even though there was nobody in the waiting room. Yeah. All of a sudden, there was this peace that came over me. In my heart, I genuinely felt joyful. In my heart, I felt, I felt light. I did not feel like I had a bag of rocks. I, I was sitting there, and I felt warm and comforted, and it, it, it really, like, took me back and I said to my sister I feel really at peace and I think that that means there's a problem and I'm gonna need to let you go because I think I feel really good because something's really wrong and so I let her go and I sat there in that waiting room and never in my life before have I felt like I could literally look to my left and see Christ sitting beside me And in that moment, I sat there, and I prayed out loud. And I just said, Lord, I do not know what's happening beside me. I do not know what's happening in another room. But one thing that I do know is that no matter what is happening, 
you are in control of my life. You're in control of Robert's life. And the only thing that I can rest assured on is that when I stand up from this room and from this chair, I have to have you guiding my life. Yeah. So clearly I felt the Lord say to me, you're about to have two choices. And those two choices are both going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. But I need you to make the choice. You can follow me even when it doesn't look like it makes sense. And I will take care of you more than you ever thought I could. Or you can lean into the way that you feel. And you can try to take care of yourself, which you have the tendency to do. And see how far it gets you. And I remember sitting there. And I just said, the only option that I have is to follow you. Yeah. Next thing I knew, the doctor came to the door of the waiting room. And I saw on his face, he was sweating. He was extremely sad. I looked at him and he said, I know you heard what came over the intercom. And at this time, I didn't even know what that meant still. Sure. And I wanted to check on you because I figured that, that you were back here. He said, is there no one back here with you? I was like, no, I'm fine. I said, I'm sure you have a lot of work to do in the other room. You can go do that work. And he said, okay. He said, um, I'm going to send somebody to be back here with you. And, and I said, okay, that's fine. You can, you can go. I'm sure they need you. And I was just like, get the heck out of here. You're the doctor, man. Exactly. Go do your job. I need you right now. Yeah. And so in that moment, I, I knew that things weren't going well. And I just I started pacing that room. It was a long galley room, and I started pacing. And I just Is remember. Is that the moment? Oh, I guess you said earlier the moment when you kind of started to feel that fear of maybe this may not go the way that I thought it would was when you felt at peace. Yeah. Is that, that peace that surpasses all understanding. Yeah. I, I never knew what that meant. I never, um, I never knew that that could be such a real thing. Yeah. And in that moment, I've believed in Christ, you know, most of my life. I was saved when I was in third grade and, yeah. and I had great, great pillars in my life. The, the reality is though, there are there are times when Christ becomes an idea, a a figure, a theory, a way to live. Mm-hmm. And then there are times when he becomes your best friend and the only way to get you out. Yeah. And in that and it's moment a relationship. Yes, and, yeah. and and I had had the relationship I, I truly believe that I had, had a relationship for a long time. But there are relationships that you have where you come and go, and there are relationships where you don't get out of bed without them. Yeah. And I think that in that moment, that's what happened. Yeah. And so he sent a nurse in. She was, she was so sweet, talked to me about everything under the sun. He came back in. This probably 30, 45 minutes went by. He sat down beside me. I knew what was going on based on the look on his face. Yeah. He had sweat all over his uh, scrubs. He said, I, I want you to know that we tried everything we could. I want you to know that, that typically when someone codes, 
we work really hard for 15, 20 minutes. I want you to know that I know that he was so young. And because of that, like I had extra people in there and I was working for 50 minutes, almost an hour. And he's almost explaining to me and begging me to understand. Yeah. And I, in that moment, I lost control of myself a little bit. Yeah. And in that moment, I just sat in my extreme grief and I thought, how am I in this place? How am I 33 and the love of my life who champions me in everything I could ever want just leave me? How could this be where I'm at today? And so then I remember looking up at him. My father-in-law was a lawyer, and, um, and I remember just the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I have a lot of people that are going to want to know a lot of details, and I need you to go back from the beginning, and I need you to tell me exactly what happened and exactly how uh, we got here. And, and he looked up, and, and he got very much more formal. And um, he said, you know, there was, um, he was having a heart attack. There were three blood clots in the top three arteries of his heart. When we went with the um, scope to see what was going on, one of the blood clots burst. And at that moment, um, we were having a hard time keeping him all during that process. And at that moment, he woke up and he said, oh, man, I feel so much better. Oh, I feel so much lighter. And yeah. then they lost him for the last time. And he said then they tried to get him back for the next 50 to minutes to an hour. And they had 12 people in there working on him. And they could never get him back. And I sat there and I thought, okay. I remembered that decision that I had just made. And I stood up and I was like, okay, can I, can I go see him? And I think he was taken aback by me asking that, you know, and, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get you back here. And so about five minutes went by and I just, um, they, they both left and I just prayed. Yeah. I prayed. I sat there and I prayed and I said, God, again, I want you to know that right now I need you right now. I'm choosing actively choosing and my actions will follow this choice but I cannot move forward without you. Yeah. And I need you to create a purpose and a path for me. Yeah, it's so interesting to me how people who aren't Christ followers, I have no idea how they go through situations like this. Yeah, me it, neither. It makes absolutely no sense to me. Mm-mm. Because, at, at, like you said earlier, that what choice do I have? Mm-hmm. Like sure I can lean on my own understanding and I can try to plan my way out of this but the fact is is that it's not within my power Mm -hmm. there's nothing that I can do or plan that's going to change anything Yes. and so I have no choice but to lean on you and your understanding and your sovereign power Mm -hmm. and your ability to love me greater than Robert ever could. Yeah. It's it's really living out dying to yourself, right? Yeah. I think that, man, it's so easy to want to take control. 
it's so easy to want to have all the power and the control and make the decisions because who else can make a better decision than you, right? Yeah. But the reality is, is that really we're dying to ourselves to pick up the cross and to walk forward. And in that, we're saying, not I, but you, Lord. Yeah. And, And in moments like that, you crumble. And the thing is, if you think about a piece of a piece of toast, you're crumbling. Well, there's something about the Lord where he takes it and he molds you. And sometimes it's painful, but somehow your piece of toast that was crumbled crumbs on the table becomes a piece of toast all over again. Yeah. And so I went back there, I held his hand. I remember praying over him. I remember just speaking out loud oh I'm so thankful that I was your wife I'm so thankful that you were such a good husband I'm so proud of you and the man that you were you have done such a good job by me you've done such a good job by your family you have left a legacy on this earth that I promise that I will try to continue so as I sat there telling him all of those things I became very aware that I was now a 33-year-old widow sitting in an operating room with my deceased spouse who was intubated, uh, meaning all the tubes were in his throat and his mouth, and I didn't know what to do from here. I also knew that I didn't want to leave him. I couldn't leave him. Like, I was his protector. I was the one that was going to make sure he was okay. My dad, having grown up in that town, had really good friends that he had grown up with his whole life. And he had called him and his wife. And I didn't know at the time, but they were on the way to the hospital. Uh, He had also called our neighbors who were on the way to the hospital as well. And about that time, they all four walked into the room and it was it was a breath of fresh air. It was really nice to not be alone anymore. It was also very much a situation where I felt like I had to take control. Yeah. And so they came in and they were so loving to me. Yeah. And perfect timing, like just the kindness of the Lord and exactly when you need it. Absolutely. You've Absolutely. said everything that you wanted to say and just sitting there. Yeah. And, and I was so glad I got that time, you know? Yeah. And they came in the room and then we, uh, we were talking just for a second. And then I had asked, there was a chaplain that had come in and explained really, okay, this is what happens next, which I thought was really nice yeah. because who knows those things, you know? And then there was a nurse that would come and check on me every so often. And, and I just asked them, I said, you know, could we all like hold hands and gather around him and, and go one by one praying over this situation? And I knew my neighbors were Catholic. I didn't necessarily know what depth of believers, you know, my, our family friends were. Yeah. And I just felt so strongly that at this moment, I mean, the, the person that we all need right now is, is the Lord. One, I wanted him to be ushered into heaven just in a, in a grand way. Yeah. And I think that I don't necessarily know what that looks like. And so I was going to do everything in my power for there to be some celebration happening, you yeah. know? And 
so I I wanted them to hold hands and I started and and one by one we ran around this circle and we prayed over Robert cir- circling his uh, his bed and and then after that I I realized that I was gonna have to make some difficult phone conversations and so I got my phone and I called my parents and they immediately left. They lived about seven hours from us, mm-hmm. came. I called his dad, told him, called his mom, told her. And then that's all the people that I could really handle at that moment <laughs> or that I remember calling. Right. Nobody wants to be able to, nobody wants the job of calling a parent and telling them their child has passed away. Yeah. Nobody wants the job. Especially the spouse of the child. Yes. And so that night I went and I stayed with our neighbors. I didn't want to go back to my house. I didn't want to go back and sleep in that bed. I went and stayed with them. My parents showed up the next morning. Then at the next morning when they showed up, I remember standing in my driveway with my parents and my dad engulfing my mom and I and all three of us just crying. Yeah. And I think that that's the first time or second time in my life that I'd ever saw my dad cry. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized that they weren't just worried about me, that they had lost somebody too. Right. And I felt very, very strong that I needed to go to work and tell all our people at work because the last thing that they knew is he passed out and an ambulance took him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And they all witnessed it. They all knew. And so every morning we had a morning huddle. So I called my boss and I asked, would it be okay? They, they were checking on us. And so I went, and there was about 60 people in this morning huddle. And I remember going up there, and I thought, okay, Lord, this is my opportunity. This is where we start. And I remember standing in that morning huddle, and I remember saying and thanking them for the family that they had been to us and asking them to continue to, to be an example to people that would come through those doors. And, and what a wonderful example that they set for Robert and how thankful we were that we moved to this new town and we had them as our community. I told them about you know him passing away and they were visibly upset. And then we went, we went forward, gave some hugs and I went home. After that, we started making plans for a funeral, going back to Conway and all of that. So you moved moved Well, I knew he was from Pine Bluff, Mm -hmm. and his brother had passed away, like I'd said, years before. Mm -hmm. And him and his brother were very, very close. So I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he would want to be buried by his brother. So I had called his dad and said, can we find a cemetery plot next to Martin, who was his brother? And uh, his dad worked hard and got us one that was that was close by and so I knew that they were gonna have to transport his body back from Texas to Arkansas and so there was a funeral home they have to do some things before they can transport a body like that so um, I stayed in Texas until Robert left to go be transported back 
and I, um, I we went with him basically, and and came back to to Pine Bluff, stayed there a couple of days, had the funeral. Fast forward a little bit into into the future, my sister and my brother-in-law had dated for for quite a long time, six seven years. The first time I'd met him was at my wedding in 2010. This is 2016, so it'd been you know a while, and he was. He had asked my sister to marry him, and they were engaged, and I was an event planner. And so, and it was December 10th, 15th, by this point, and we'd, we'd had the funeral, we'd done all these things. I never went back and slept in my bed. Every, every time I, I slept on the couch, I told my mom and dad to, I just wanted to pack some clothes, and it's almost Christmas, let's go to y'all's house. And so, we went to their house, so all over Christmas break, I, I ended up planning this wedding to get my mind off of everything that was going on in this holiday where I, I put a trash bag over our, our little tree and put all of our handmade ornaments that we had made over the last, you know, six years and took it to my parents' house because I couldn't let that something happen to that. That's yeah. all I had left. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't let my mom and dad clean a, a knife with peanut butter on it because it was in the sink and he had left it there all of these things and so yeah. we're at my parents house and my dad has these dreams of grandeur where I'm gonna move in and get a job in West Texas and live there and it's just gonna be a hunky-dory life living with them and I remember very clearly <laughs> I said to him I really appreciate the opportunity that you'll always give me that's not gonna happen and I've got to figure out what I can do. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> exactly. And so I came to Conway. I wanted so badly to move to Northwest Arkansas. I thought it would be fun. I thought it could make a life for myself. And We all think that. Yeah, exactly. And then we all in, end up back here. Back here. <laughs> I actually thought, I'm not, I'm not moving to Conway. There's no way I'm moving back to Conway. I don't want to be around and feel like I'm missing, you know, my partner. Uh, at this time, like, I couldn't even go to church because every time I would get in church, I would just, I would break down. I feel like in, in church and in those settings, you are the most vulnerable that you can be. And when you go in that building and you don't have the person that finally you were partners with there and you feel alone and s singled out and, like, there's a spotlight from above shining on you, yep. it just wasn't happening. And so, so I was visiting. And everybody's looking at you with, with that pity. look. With that look, there's yeah, a look. That pity look. <laughs> yeah, and really, you just want to hide when people look at you like that. Yeah. And so, so I was gonna move, and I went to Northwest Arkansas. My friends, I have some really great friends who work for Walmart, and I wanted to work in product development or event planning for Walmart. And through going up there and seeing some different things, I I had my mind made up on on doing that. Well, I had another really good friend in Conway, and she she said, you know, there's this guy, and there's this guy that he's been looking for a really long time for somebody like you, and I just think that you would be a great fit. And I said, okay. She's like, will you just interview with him? And I said, I don't know about that. I'm not moving back to Conway. Well, just interview with him okay, I'll interview with him. I'm going through Conway because my friend's grandmother passed away. So I'll be there for like 30 minutes. 
Can he meet me at 7.30 on X day? I'll give him 10 of those 30. (laughs) Exactly. She's like, I'm sure he can. Let me check. So during this time, I had realized that I wasn't just grieving the spouse that I had lost. I was grieving a life. Yeah. I was grieving the opportunity to have a family. I was grieving kids. I was grieving everything. A home, essentially. My home had died. And uh, the dreams of a future home that I was going to build had died. And as I was praying, I didn't know how God was going to bring this one out of the out of the fire. Right. And so, but he had told you, hmm? stick with me. Stick with me. Don't lean on your own understanding, yeah. and I will care for you. Exactly. Stick with me. And so... So there's trust there. Yeah. You're not sure how he's going to do it, but you trust he's going to. Yeah. And, you know, in our, in our carnal nature, in our sinful nature, I, I thought, you know... I'm going to go get a job with Walmart. I'm going to make a lot of money, and that's exactly how he's going to do it. Take that, Lord. (laughs) That's exactly how you're going to do it, God. I know you. (laughs) And he just, you know, he sits back and laughs, I'm sure, and is like, ha, 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 you think you know me. (laughs) (laughs) He probably sounds just like that, too. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, so then I, uh, I go to this interview. I'm sitting across from this man who, just frankly, and I would tell him this today, which is funny, but... He was a little bit of a hot mess. He had a bunch of papers everywhere. He was shuffling them around. He didn't really know what to ask or, you know, where to go and was kind of kind of all over the place a little bit. And I was like, okay, well. You so- think you can organize these papers? <laughs> if so, you got the job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, so he kept asking me these questions that were just kind of hypotheticals, right? And so I thought, okay, this is great. Got up from the interview and I left and I thought, well, there was my 30 minutes. Let's go on to this funeral. Wasted my 30 minutes. Exactly. I could have had breakfast with a friend. <laughs> Not really. But so I went to this funeral, and uh, after that I went home, continued to talk to my friends in Northwest Arkansas about getting a job, all the while knowing my time lived in my parents' house was short and needed to move on. <laughs> I was planning that wedding for my sister, but good night. It w- it's different when you're – 33 and you're living at your parents house and you all your stuff somewhere else and you have a bag because you don't want to go back to your house and and it's just a weird place to be in you feel displaced you feel alone and you definitely feel even though you're at your home with your people you feel like you've lost your home you feel like you've lost your community your family and so you feel like you're in limbo back in that waiting room in limbo like what am I waiting on you just don't even know and so periodically this man would call me and ask me questions give me more hypothetical questions do you know about this computer program what do you think about this would you would you want to do a project for me and and see what you think about designing this bathroom and and I was just like sure yeah okay finally I think I got an email from him, and I remember I was sitting outside of this parking lot, about to go in a store with my mom, and he said, what do you know about this program? And this had gone on for about three weeks, and I was going back to Northwest Arkansas to have an interview. And so I said, listen, I know that I'm a hard worker. 
I know that if I put my mind to something, we can accomplish it. I know that with a little hard work, determination, and some being flexible, we can do just about anything. I think you're like this from the 30 minutes I spent with you. This is what I know about this program, which, as a side note, I went and Googled it and pulled off the Internet what that said. So you knew nothing I about knew it no, I'd never even heard of it. I said, this is what I know about this program, but even more than that... If this is something that we're going to do, I'll be passionate about it, and we'll make it a success. Yeah. Next thing I knew, he said, okay, you're hired. And wow. And so I had a phone call with him. We talked about compensation. We talked about a bunch of different things. And at that time, I was so eager to get out of my parents' house that the package that he put in front of me was scary. It was scary because it was low. Yeah. I'm going to say poverty low. Later on in that year, someone that we know had said, you know, uh, they work uh, all over, all over. And they, and I remember it so vividly. And they said, so they travel a lot because they work all over. Mm -hmm. I said, well, last year, I wish I would have done my taxes differently because uh, I spent X amount of money on travel. And I remember thinking that was my whole annual salary. And I remember working nonstop because I was trying to suppress. I was trying to push those feelings. What, what made you go from, I am, this is how the Lord is going to give me this, these desires that I have. I know he's going to take care of me. This is how he's going to do it through this job in Northwest Arkansas Mm -hmm. to taking the job in Conway. I thought every time I would talk to this, every time I would talk to my boss, yeah. his, his name is Nathan, every time I would talk to Nathan, every time we would talk about a project or I would think about it, I got a piece. I felt that piece again. Yeah. Every time I would think about Northwest Arkansas, I started feeling like, you know, my life's going to, I'm very driven, so I pour myself into whatever I'm doing. My life's going to be nothing but work. I'm going to be a slave to that, and I'm not going to be able to rebuild my life. And I just got this uneasy feeling about it. So as I was going forward, that's what made me make the decision because of the peace that I felt again, that I felt like it was the right decision. And so I moved back to Conway on February 14th, I remember, Valentine's Day. There you go. I started work on the 15th. I worked nonstop to try to suppress the feelings that I was feeling and pour myself into something that I could be good at, that I could feel good at. I remember my boss sending me an email uh, fairly, fairly freshly into that first year and said, you know, I really appreciate all that you're doing. You're doing a great job. I know that this has been really good and, and I know I needed you. And in some ways, I hope you, I think you needed me to. And I I saved that email. I still have it. I know exactly where it's at because I remember thinking in that moment, God knew we both needed each other and he aligned our paths. Throughout the next five years, I, I've worked and I have fought (laughs) and I have, I've trusted the Lord. Yeah. I think that. How has he answered those 
desires and how has he kept his his word his word yeah. for you i think that he's done so much it's hard it's hard to verbalize yeah in that first year i didn't know how he was going to help me but really looking back on it now i think and i was like he never left my side even when i didn't know what was going to happen to robert god gave us a year of isolated time together yeah. as a gift, as an intentional gift mm-hmm. to take away the noise, to take away the outside, and to allow us to spend time together. I love that. He gave me the gift of not being in Conway when this happened and having my friends and family surrounding me yeah. and putting me in a hospital waiting room alone so that I could hear his voice louder than anybody else's. Yeah. He gave me a gift by giving me something to do in my sister's wedding. He gave me a gift by giving me a place to be that needed me. He created a purpose. He created a way for me and the gifts that he'd always instilled in me, which was to love and to value people, to support and to care about the people around you to make a difference, to make a change, to make things better. And he gave me an outlet to do all of those things. He aligned me with a man in my boss that believed in me and supported me and fought for me Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. So I, I, I knew nothing. I knew some things. My dad built houses all throughout my life and I had always helped. And, and so I went, I work now for a construction company. Mm-hmm. Going in, I had to learn a whole new industry. Yeah. And in that, he gave me something to do to pass yeah. my time. I learned uh, this industry, and, and I was a young female mm-hmm. in the construction industry, which is heavily male-dominated, which is an, an outlet that is, has a, a variety of people in it. Mm-hmm. It has office people that are highly educated, that know how to work programs and systems and and planners. It also has guys that are some of the hardest workers that I've ever seen who use their hands and their brains and their people skills to get things done that would take normal people weeks and months. And he put me smack dab in the middle of all of it. And he, he gave me the opportunity to take these people and to make it a family. Yeah. And the thing that I was grieving, the future, the family, the the, the spouse, the had. life. Yeah. yeah. He basically gave me the tools to make that out of what he placed me right in the middle of. Yeah. And he redeemed those desires. Absolutely. And and I didn't know at the time. And so in redeeming those desires over the years, I, I got opportunities, and I learned, and I worked harder. I got the opportunity to be on our executive level staff with a, an incredible promotion to where now my job title, apart from getting to design things, is human resource director on our C-level staff that gets to take care of our employees and love them and value them and teach them yeah. and fight for them. I get to, to have a voice and a seat at a table that no other female in the history of our 45-year-old company has ever gotten to do. I get to bring a different perspective for the future 
of this industry that is so powerful and I take so seriously as a purpose that I get to have. And apart from all of that, I also got the opportunity this last year to to build a home, yeah. to build a home for myself. A that, physical home. A physical home that I got to design. That you wanted. Yes, that I got to design, that I got to take these things that I had and learned. And it's very lovely, by the way. Thank you. I got to take these things that I learned and walk beside somebody I trust emphatically, Nathan, and, and build the structure that I get to have as a vessel to pour my heart out into and to bring and rebuild a community in. Yeah. And every day I get to do that. Yesterday, I got to have all of our C-level leaders, our CEO, our president, our CFO, and our VP over for an all-day meeting with our business coach. And, and I sat back and I looked and I thought, man, where has my life come in the last five years? Yeah. I was a 33-year-old girl who was in debt, who had moved to a place she didn't want to go in order to get ahead, had the largest tragedy of my life happen, and today I'm sitting here on an executive level staff with a house that I got to build that I love, getting to make a difference in a community and in people that I've made my family. Yeah. So if that's not redemption, I don't know what is. I love it. Yep. And, and the Lord has has given me that hope and he's been able to show me that when things don't look right when you're not making the right amount of money and you move to a place you don't want to go and and you're around people that that remember you a certain way and don't remember the the widowed version of you he makes that whole and and when you uh, aren't equipped with knowledge and you aren't you don't know the industry and you're too young and you're not the right sex and all these things are are mountains in front of you he redeems That's awesome. and he gives you hope so, i love it yeah well thanks for coming on today and just sitting with me and telling us your story yeah thank you i i want so badly for people to look at the the situations that they're in and to know that while today is a picture of what has been, tomorrow is a picture of what will be. And if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the one true person and thing to guide us, uh, what will be tomorrow is endless possibilities. Thanks to Jennifer for being kind enough to share her story with us. She truly inspires me to have faith like hers, to follow God's plan, and to trust Him without question. And thanks to you for listening. I hope you'll join us again next week. Just in case you weren't aware, It Doesn't Look Good is sponsored entirely by Hope Against Hope. If you haven't taken the time to check out our website yet, you can do that at hopeagainsthope.com. And please consider making a tax-deductible donation while you're there. Every dollar donated goes directly to people that have life-threatening illnesses and to make sure we can continue to provide that much-needed financial relief. Thanks.